0: All right, welcome back to the Bedford Bible Church podcast and our videos just given recaps of sermons that have been preached here. Uh, to this episode is going to look back to the sermons preached in the Sunday morning and Sunday evening of July the 12th. And so Sunday mornings we are continuing to go through the life of Elisha and we're in 2nd Kings chapter 2. And we're still working through that transition from Elijah to Elisha. And what I want us to really think about as we go through Second Kings chapter 2 this morning is that the power of God that has empowered others can empower you. And the grace of God that has empowered you can empower others. It's the same God and the same grace as you see a change from Elijah to Elisha, from one generation to another generation, uh, the same God, same grace. And so I want to encourage those older saints who may be watching this to press on. And I want to encourage young saints to make a start and to encourage both to trust God's grace and to help each other. And so um, the first thing then is we see Elijah's final goodbyes in verses one through eight. Now, in our series going through the life of Elijah, I went into great detail about this. But in chapter two, verse one, it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Now Gilgal um, is a place of beginnings. This is where Israel first camped after crossing the Jordan. It's a place of peace. It's a place of, of starting out. And so maybe there's a for Elijah a reflection upon where he began and what God began to do in his life so many years before. And again there's a lesson there for Elisha to think about the start that he's going to be making. Now Elisha has probably been following Elijah now for maybe 10 years, perhaps as many as 20, but something new is about to start in his life. And so there could be lessons here for Elisha. Then they went on to Bethel. It says Elijah said unto Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. Now Bethel is symbolical of prayer. It literally means house of God, uh, but it is served in the history of Israel as a place of dedication and preparation. Now sadly, a false idol had recently been set up here. And so what was meant to be a place of prayer had been corrupted. But again, Elijah is emphasizing to Elisha that prayer had to be foundational to his ministry if he was going to continue in the footsteps of Elijah. And also, there's a warning uh, that if there's not dedication and devotion in our prayer life, then false idols and false worship can easily creep in. In verse 4, Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And Jericho is easily seen as being a place. Of, uh, of, of battle. It was where Israel first confronted the enemy in the promised land. It had recently been rebuilt in defiance of a curse. In Joshua 6 verse 26, there was a warning given that whoever rebuilt Jericho would lose two of his children in, in the process. And in 1 Kings chapter 16, during the reign of Ahab, recent years here for Elijah and Elisha, Jericho was rebuilt and uh, the man who did it had two of his sons die through the process. And so here again, there's a warning to Elisha that there will be battles to fight. And then the final location that they go to, we see in verse six, and Elijah said unto him, "Tarry, I pray thee here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. This is the final step in, in Elijah's farewell tour of Israel. And you know, Death comes to all of us. There, there was again a warning to Elisha, a reminder to him that life is finite, that eventually we come to an end and, and we have to serve the Lord to the best of our ability while we are here. But there's also that hope that on the other side of death we see our Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, many runners have lost a race because Towards the end of the race, they slowed down, they began to look around to see where their competitors were, or they began to pay attention to the cheers of their supporters too much, and someone else overtook them. Or perhaps even they became so distracted that they tripped and fell. Elijah was determined that all the way through his journey, he would keep his eyes fixed on the Lord. And that's seen as we come to verses 7 and 8. It says that 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they too stood by Jordan. So Elijah and Elisha continue on alone. And Elijah took his mantle, wrapped it together, and smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. You know, this parting of the waters, that was one of the greatest miracles you see, uh, you know, Moses being involved with as Israel led out of Egypt towards the Promised Land. It's one of the great miracles that God did for Joshua to show that Joshua was the, the, the uh, next in line to follow after Moses when they entered the Promised Land. It was a way of God telling Israel, I'm with Joshua as I was with Moses, and I will deliver you and give you victory. And here we see Elijah at the end of his life performing a final miracle that is just as great, just as powerful as any that had come before him. And, you know, I think what we can take from this is although Elijah's earthly journey was almost done, he didn't slow down, he didn't give up, he didn't merely celebrate victories of the past. He was determined to keep doing great things for the Lord. And as we grow older, our physical abilities may change and adjust and and we may feel we can't do some of the things we used to do. But it doesn't mean that our vision for God should end. Elijah pressed on to win the race to the very end. We see that with the Apostle Paul as well. And he could say that he had run the race with patience, that he was ready uh, to to see God face to face with a clear conscience. So the same story can be said of Caleb. You know, Caleb stood with Joshua. They stood side by side when they had been uh, two of the 12 spies that had gone into the land. And they came back and said, God can give us victory. But the 10 who were fearful, and you know, Joshua and Caleb were the only two of that generation who survived through the wilderness wanderings. And once they came into the promised land and God gave them victory, by this time Caleb was 85 years old. And in Joshua 14 and verse 12, he gives those powerful uh, words, Give me this mountain. You know, he wanted to still go out and win victories for the Lord. There are some who never start into the fight, there are some who you know, don't finish well. But if you are not yet in the fight, get started, get doing something for God. And if you've been serving him for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, whatever it may be, don't slow down, don't give up. Although your ministry may change, as long as you're living and breathing, it never needs to end. And so be like Elijah, understand that there is the same God to give the same grace all through your life. Elijah's replacement was going to be Elisha. And all the way down through Second Kings 2, the sons of the prophets were coming to Elisha and saying, do you know today your, your master is going to be taken from you? And he pretty much tells them to be quiet. He says uh, three times, two or three times, yeah, I know it, hold your peace. They didn't seem to be coming to him to encourage him. They seemed to come to him just to boast of their knowledge. And Elisha uh, was here going through this time of transition but Elijah was preparing to hand over things to Elisha if that was God's will. So Elisha uh, had a replacement in store and again if you are growing older in the ministry you need to be thinking about those that you can train up to continue the work and further the work and, and do even greater things than you have done. The same grace that used you is the same God and same grace that can use others. Elisha had resolve. He had to have loyalty. Uh, He fulfilled his calling and he stuck with Elijah. You know, there's no amount of ability, there's no amount of opportunity that can make up for a lack of commitment. If you're committed, then you may only have one ability and one opportunity. But if you're committed to taking that and using it, then God can use you greatly. But if you have all the ability in the world and you have all the opportunities in the world, but you have no commitment, well, then you're never going to do anything for God. Elisha had loyalty. He stuck with Elijah. And it could have been, as I said, 10 or 20 years since he was taken from, you know, going into the field with those 12 yoke of oxen, as we read in First Kings 19. And all through that time, Elisha was Elijah's servant, training, serving, watching, learning. He was loyal. He was willing to labor, you know, this final journey with Elijah was over, you know, some 35 miles as they went from Gilgal to Bethel and Jericho and Jordan. He was willing to do the work. You know, Paul challenges us to study, to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Beware of being too comfortable and getting soft in this life and, you know, not being willing to endure what God has for us. So Elisha had resolve. He he had the, the loyalty that was there. He had the willingness to labor, and he was willing to endure loneliness. You know, the sons of the prophets would come along and say, Elisha, you're going to lose your master today. And he would say, yes, I know. But they wouldn't travel with them. The sons of the prophets lingered in the background. And so when they come to Jordan, the 50 sons of the prophets are stood at a distance. And it's just Elisha and Elijah. We ought to seek out others to serve with and to serve alongside. But if need be, we need to be willing to stand alone and to serve alone. All the way through the New Testament in Philippians, a brief survey, you see how Paul over and over and over again says, with me, with me, rejoice with me, serve with me, labor with me, support me. You know, the saints that are with me. Uh, And so we want to serve with others. But if it comes down to it, we need to be willing to serve alone. There is a famous story told of Henry Varley meeting D.L. Moody in Dublin, Ireland, and, and both men were faithfully serving God already. But one year after that meeting, in 1873, Varley and Moody met once again. And they were sat in a Baptist church there at the vestry at the back. And Moody said, do you remember your words? And Varley said he remembered having a conversation, but nothing specific. And Moody recounted a phrase which is now very familiar. It's usually attributed to Moody, but it was actually the words of the the, the Englishman Henry Varley to Moody. And, And this is what Varley said to Moody. The world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to Him. Moody said this, Those were the words sent to my soul through you from the living God. As I crossed the wide Atlantic, the boards of the deck of the vessel were engraved with them, and when I reached Chicago, the very paving stones seemed marked with, Moody, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to Him. Under the power of those words, I have come back to England, and I felt that I must not let my time pass And so I let you know how God had used your words to my inmost soul. Elijah served God in a mighty way. But the same God and the same grace was going to be with Elisha. And Elisha was used in a mighty way. Now, God only knows how you've been used. But, you know, you need to pass on what you know to others. You need to train up others to follow in your footsteps. Because the same God that used you will enable by the same grace others to serve. And if you, all right, so that was our review of the Sunday morning message on July the 12th. And now I want to just give a 10-minute recap of the Sunday evening message. And uh, we had two services, two sermons across two weeks, uh, really with the same title, Dealing with Dogs. Israel, you know, really had come to uh, elevate themselves in their own understanding, and they referred to all Gentiles as dogs. And one of their key... Problems is that they forgot that God had chosen them not because of anything intrinsically good about themselves, uh, but because through them He would bring the Messiah into the world. And when you read through Deuteronomy, um, you know, God makes it clear to them that it wasn't because of their own righteousness He chose them. So Israel had become very proud, uh, they'd really lifted up themselves in their own eyes. And Jesus is showing in, in Mark, Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to the end of the chapter that he was going to reach out to the Gentiles as well. And on July the 5th, in our last recap, uh, we saw that there was a Gentile woman who came with faith and prayed for her daughter to be delivered from a demon and her prayer was heard. Now Jesus is still in the same region and in Mark chapter 7, uh, verse 31, it says again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came onto the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coasts of Decapolis. And... Um, We see here Jesus is seeking and saving. The Gentiles were not excluded from his saving grace. Jesus died for all, and so we must take the message to everyone ourselves. Decapolis, those ten cities that were heavily influenced by uh, Greece. Alexander the Great had probably built most of these ten cities. And by Jesus' time, they were, of course, Roman. Um, When Jesus was last in this area, he had delivered a man from a a legion of of demons but then the local people having seen that were afraid and they, they pushed him away. They chose to reject Jesus. But you know maybe their receptiveness on this occasion is because of what happened in Mark five nineteen. That man that Jesus delivered wanted to follow Jesus. Um, he wanted to travel with him and become one of his disciples. But in Mark five nineteen, it says that Jesus suffered him not but settled to him Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord have done for thee and have had compassion on thee. And so this man, having experienced the compassion of Jesus, turns around and tells others of the compassion of Jesus, and this groundwork has been set for a future ministry of Jesus Christ in this region. You never know how what you do will lay the groundwork for others to share the gospel and for people to be saved. But from Genesis 3, with the promise of the, the salvation of, the, wo- of the, the seed of the woman going to all people, to Genesis 22, where Abraham's descendants are prophesied to, be, uh, you know, to bless the whole world, that descendant being Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 11.10, we see the prophecy of the Gentiles being drawn to the descendant of David. Isaiah 42, that Jesus would be a light to lighten the Gentiles. Over and over and over again, we see that salvation is not only for the Jew, but for the Gentile, for all people. So, verse 31 Jesus is seeking and saving that which was lost. Well, then we see in verse 32 bringing and believing. Um, in verse 32 of Mark chapter 7, uh, and they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they beseech him to put his hand upon him. So, this group of friends were bringing their friend to Jesus because they knew that he could help. You note know, the compassion of these friends. They were going to do what they could to get their friend. To Jesus. Now, the man, maybe he had been born deaf, maybe not. Uh, it's speculated that his deafness was linked with his speech impediment. Uh, but whatever the case may be, he had limited means to understand and communicate. Maybe that's why his healing was unique in the way that Jesus would spit and the way that Jesus would hold onto his hands and, or onto his ears. Whatever the case may be, this man had a deep need. You know, and I wonder, you know how much we see the need that is in the world around us today. Are we willing to reach out to bring others to Jesus? When we come to verse thirty-three, it says that he took him aside from the multitude, put his fingers in his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. Uh, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said unto him, Ephra, that is, be opened. Jesus deals with him as a unique individual. He took the man aside and You know, I really love that idea there of Jesus taking this man aside, this man who, you know, he has serious impediments in how he can communicate and understand the world around him. And Jesus deliberately takes this man and focuses on him. He pulls him aside from the crowd and he gives him his full attention. And it's amazing that God does the same for us. He knows the need of our heart and he takes us aside and he doesn't deal with us just as another number, but he deals with us as individuals. So seeking and saving, bringing and believing. And then we see the healing in verse 35. Straightway his ears were open and the string of his tongue was loosed and he spake plain. There was no momentous build-up. There was simply word spoken, be opened, and the man is healed. And then verse 36, he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them so much, the more a great deal they published it were beyond men, but measure astonished you know it wasn't that Jesus was trying to remain secret you know this is far into the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ what Jesus was trying to do was to minimize the emphasis on his miracles and to emphasize his teaching and of course people were getting caught up in the miraculous and in, in the, the big things that they considered to be important when Jesus was trying to say look it's not about the miracle it's about the teaching You know, we as a body of believers need to make sure we emphasize the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are all kinds of worthy movements with which we can be involved. But if we don't get the gospel out there first and foremost, then none of those other things really matter. However, these people publish it. The news spreads more and more and they will be on measure astonished. They say he hath done all things well. He maketh the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. There is an interesting connection perhaps with them saying he's done all things well with Genesis where Jesus says, or said of God's creation, God says uh, that it was good. He looked upon his creation and it was good. All things that God does is good. It may not always appear to us as being good, but it is good because God knows what he's doing and we can trust him. So in this portion of Scripture, I think the overwhelming theme we have is continued from last week's message, is that Jesus reaches out to the Gentiles as well as the Jews, to all sinners, with the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, with the good news of himself. And the secondary message for us is that we want to reach out with the gospel in the very same way. Uh, We have no discrimination about ethnicity, background Uh, anything that humans put an emphasis upon we strip away and we solely look at the fact that there are sinners in need of a savior and there's one savior from sin and that is Jesus Christ. May God bless these thoughts to our hearts.